I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with James Pendamano. James, thanks for coming on the show today. How are you doing? Doing great. An absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So James is the, the CEO for Cassandra Properties, uh, that's Staten Island's premier real estate firm. And uh, over the last 20 years, James has shepherded the completion of tr transformative projects all over Staten Island. Um, James, I'm going to let you kind of share your story and, you know, sort of your, how you got started. And then um, we'll kind of hopefully maybe you can tell us about some of those projects. I think that'll be a cool thing to talk about. Sure. So uh, I've been around real estate my whole life. Uh, the company was started by mom, Cassandra, you know, bears her namesake back in 1989. Uh, she was involved as an agent and a trainer for some of the other larger firms for years and years before that. So literally, as far back as I can remember, I've just been in the game, you know, in one way or another, being dragged from appointment to appointment as a kid, um, you know, but there was there was something about it, I guess, you know, at that age, everything imprints on you, right? Yeah. So, um as a kid, kicking and screaming, having to go an appointment, you know, on an appointment is one thing, but also watching the process of people's dreams coming true, right? You know, people are uh, going through this process, they're buying their home and watching mom play a role in that was kind of neat. Um, you know, over the years, she grew the business and, and had to, you know, today's, today's words pivot. As the markets changed, she became very active in commercial. So she started to do land leasing. Um, she was definitely the only woman that was handling uh, land leasing in Staten Island uh, in, in a really male-dominated market. And she blazed the path and, and kind of paved the road without question for, for me to pick the mantle up. Um, you know, so coming out of school, uh, it was just natural for me to jump in and help out. And, and you know, when she started to uh, slow down a little bit. Uh, you know, she still comes in once a week and tells us everything we're doing wrong, of course, but <laughs> short of that, um, you know, we started to take over the reins and we wanted to grow a, a more sustainable company that uh, had a bit more balance in the different areas. We do a lot of consulting work, a lot of commercial work, and of course, a healthy residential division. Um, so that's been really the focus over the last 15 or 20 years was building out these different divisions and bringing in just the best of the best in each discipline to build a, a robust division. You know, um, we're not an agency and we probably never will be that has a hundred agents. You know, we wanted to have 20 of the best and excellence was uh, kind of how we cut our teeth. You know, it was, uh, we were going to do the, the tough assignments and uh, we were going to do them well. You know, we're not a discount firm. Um, you know, we deliver excellence and, and we expect, you know, commensurate compensation for that. And there's a, a real, a real need for that out here. So fast forward 15 years and here I am on your podcast, you know, talking about the journey. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. 
Well, it sounds like sounds like your mom really <laughs> sort of set the stage and, and taught you a lot. I, I'd imagine, um, you know, sort of growing up in that in that kind of environment is. I know when you're young, you're probably, like you said, kicking and screaming. You're like, I don't want to go to these appointments. I don't want to, <laughs> I, but, but in hindsight, now you've got, <laughs> you've got quite a successful company because of it. And it's, it's nice to have, and I'm sure, I'm sure mom still has her ideas of how things should be uh, as all moms do. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so when, when you took over or I guess, so was there a time, I guess a transition time, you know, while you were, joining the company and mom, you were sort of working together? Oh, sure. Uh, you know, probably 10 years where uh, she still was was calling the day-to-day shots. And, um, you know, it, it happened at a time when the digital age started to transform everything around us, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it was exciting for me to be able to bring that side, the technology side to the company, yeah. um, which it, it's interesting as much as things have evolved if you think about, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, we don't do anything the same. We don't travel the same. We mm-hmm. don't eat the same. Yeah. The way we just perceive our whole lifestyles, the way we work, everything is so profoundly changed. Real estate has been that kind of clunky industry that's begrudgingly taking incremental steps toward progress on the digital front. So, um, you know, we brought a lot of the technology uh, to the forefront and, and out here on Staten Island, we, we emerged as kind of the leaders and, and that, that comes with some friction, right? You know, there's deal makers in, in the business um, that are typically the older guard that have the 20, 25 years experience uh, and they're resistant to change, right? They've got a way that has worked and there's an art to being a deal maker. There's no question about it, but there's also an art to lead gen right? And making sure that the phones are ringing. This game is about eyes, getting eyes, quality eyes on the listing. The more eyes that we can get on it, the higher the price we can deliver for our sellers. Um, and we, we decided to split the company. We, we decided that there was a, a marketing component that had to be full-time tended to. And then there was the deal-making component, imparting that knowledge to new agents, bringing in experienced agents, collaborating. So we brought in a CMO, uh, that used to work for Apple, actually. And and that's when it really started to transform. And we really started to get a peek behind the curtain. Algorithms are changing every day, right? It seems like yeah. there's a new app or there's a new website or there's a new lead gen uh, you know, trick to try. So we're constantly innovating on the marketing side while cultivating real, true deal makers on the deal side. And marrying them together has been where we've really found success. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. I was actually going to ask you, you know, sort of what, what things you brought into the business, you know, that, that weren't there previously. And so it sounds like technology is a big part of that. What, can you talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what you're doing and what, what's making, what do you find most successful, I guess, when it comes to lead generation? So, uh, well, there's no one thing with lead gen because it changes so frequently. I think tenacity is the most important thing you can bring to that side of the business. Just being willing to fail over and over and try each platform, uh, try and take the better components of different platforms and create your own. Uh, we're rolling out a, a software soon that's gonna help investors and agents source deals, which has got little components of different things that we found. Um, but it's, you know, you, you can't be afraid to fail. You have to be willing to, to put capital up and, 
run down the rabbit hole, if you will, of all these different little niches that you're finding, be it the Facebook pixels or the AdWords or the SEO and uh, you know, constantly trying to tweak and, and slide this lever a little bit and push this button and see what kind of results you end up with. That's, uh, I think that's the single most important thing. You have to be willing to, sometimes you get leads that are awful. I mean, that's just the, the fact of digital marketing, right? You have to yeah. then find a way to weed out those bad leads uh, so that when they get to your deal makers, their quality, right? Uh, there's nothing more frustrating for a deal maker. And by the way, I'm at my core, I'm a deal maker. I'm not a marketer at my core. I've adopted and I've surrounded myself with much, much, much brighter folks than I am in that area because at my core, that's what I do. Nobody will close a lease or a sale better, quicker, more efficiently than I do. That's my gift. But I understood that I needed real professionals on the other side of it. So, you know, the trick is continuing to bring those leads in, but then we have to try and find a way to get the not so great ones out. I mean, it's wild. You can run an ad for a lot for sale, a fully entitled lot for sale in Staten Island, and you'll get leads from Florida, you know, someone that was looking for a dog kennel, like, right? There's crazy algorithms that uh, all of the different uh, social media companies use and they're constantly changing. It feels like they're changing daily or weekly. So your ads are not always going to the, the best place. And, and when you're a deal maker and you're, you know, you're out and you're crushing and you're in that right mindset, and then you're getting these leads and people are like, what are you talking about? A lot for sale. Like I need a place to put my dog, you know, that's, that's tough. Uh, so that was the other challenge. How do we, how do we now take this funnel of leads and make sure that the quality ones are being boiled down and deliver to the deal makers in the quickest, most efficient way. So, you know, and that's kind of the secret sauce for us is just to continue to innovate and, and continue to find ways to keep our deal makers in the mindset of a deal maker. Cause it is two very different disciplines, right? The marketing side of it, traditionally left brain thinkers, they're very creative, not as organized. Uh, and they like to cast a wide net, you know, the deal maker just wants to go, you know, yeah. we're not looking for farmers. We're looking for hunters um and and people that are going to take those leads and close so it, it's two unique disciplines but real estate's starting to find its footing uh in in how those two are married together now it's an interesting time yeah yeah that's really cool um and just so you know real estate's not the only industry that has gone kicking and screaming towards technology veterinary medicines the say it's like crazy i'm like yeah we, we all have iphones or you know something like, like you're not still using you're not still using a, a rotary phone let's let's step up our game here so yeah it's some it's shocking how some industries embrace it and just go and and you can it's very clear that they'll explode that way i mean and i think uh you're doing a very smart thing using that to your advantage because it's just if you're not using it you're just going to fall behind i think that that's the reality yeah, but it's scary, right? You know, yeah. uh, there's folks that have have had a lot of success in these industries for a long time, and they did it a certain way. So, you know, that that's part of the challenge is is recognizing that their way worked and works, uh, and has worked yeah. for a very long time. And it's you know, it, it's I understand the the almost fear to embrace it, especially mm -hmm. because it changes so quickly. You know, when you think you kind of have it down, you know, your iPhone is is updating to a new app, a, a right. new operating system, and, and everything looks different. And it's just this constant evolution. 
but for the most part, uh, you know, I think it's starting to catch up. I think we're, we haven't even scratched the surface with real estate. I think blockchain and there's some really neat things that are coming down the pipe that will change how, how you know, real estate gets done for, for decades moving forward. But it's, it is an exciting time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so are you, so you're, you're doing both residential and commercial real estate. Are you, uh, are you investing yourself or are you sort of working with other investors? What's your, what's your take on that? Yeah. So uh, we've kept that separate purposefully for a long time. Um, We didn't want to feel like we were competing with our market. So yeah. our investments have been very limited locally and we've invested out of market quite a bit. Okay. Um, that model is starting to change now. We're getting more and more involved in syndications. Uh, I have my eye on a, a fund. I want to start a fund in the first quarter of next year. I think that there's just too much opportunity now to, to look away. And I think it's time that you know, we've kind of established ourselves as leaders in the local space. And we want to now be, you know, take that knowledge base and kind of elevate it and, and start a fund and, and really go out and do some special things. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a good idea. I've, I've often wondered, you know, I, I think there are plenty of re- real estate agents and brokers that invest, but I've often wondered, like you, you've got <laughs> the perfect source of, you know, as you said, leads. It's a great opportunity, but I guess, yeah, it, that's a really good point that you don't want to necessarily have your clients think that you're, you know, sort of competing with them for those uh, for those deals. Yeah, with, without a doubt. So, you know, there's there's a specialty that the fund will be geared toward um, where we're looking for upside entitlement type deals. Uh, we've we've through our consulting division, we've we've worked through the approvals of, of some of the largest, probably the largest projects to ever hit the borough over the last several years. That's a really specific discipline um, that very, very, very few practice in. And there's a need for capital in those deals. So it just kind of makes sense. You know, 20, 25 years later, we've really towed the line with our fiduciary and we've we've demonstrated that we know we, we have enough discipline to understand where and when there's a need for capital. So, you know, but it, it's two decades of resisting that to, to earn that reputation. Right. Yeah. You've got to build that foundation first before you kind of, I don't, I don't want to say overstep those boundaries, but yeah, yeah. Have, have people have that trust in you and know that you're not, you know, you're, you've got still got their best interests at heart as well. Um, I'd like to talk about some of those projects, uh, but I also would like to sort of maybe get your take on COVID uh, being in New York and kind of what what you saw and how that um, impacted business and real estate and everything like that. You know, it's from the from the outside world, uh, it's been you know New York was sort of the, the epicenter, and so I'm sure that was sort of horrible to to live within that, but, but I know also, you know, on a, at least again, from the outside world, everybody's talking about how the value of property in New York and and I'm from Boston. So, I mean, Boston's kind of a similar that, that things really dropped. And I, I was, you know, it's easy to see that stuff in the media, but, but as someone living through it kind of maybe speak to how that, how that went. Sure. So, you know, we've had now, this is our fourth once in a lifetime event. You know, we we were open and, and rocket and rolling during 9-11, which was unimaginably difficult for us here. 
Yeah. Uh, the 2008 crash was another once in a lifetime kind of event. Superstorm Sandy absolutely decimated Staten Island. We were hit very, very hard. Entire communities were wiped out. Um, that was the third once in a lifetime event. And now here we are operating on the heels of the global pandemic. So every time we think we've kind of turned the page, you know, we, we remember that it's just important. You know, I co-authored a book during the pandemic called Stay Calm. Um, and it, it, it just couldn't have been better timing for that, right? It, it's during these events, you have to remember there is a tomorrow, right? There's going to be a next week. There's going to be a next year. So you, you have to really exercise discipline to not get lost in the moment because it's easy to get lost in the moment when you're seeing such loss of life and such suffering. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, I've been talking about this for years now, that there's a decentralization of real estate that, that we've seen dating back to 2007, 2008, when the retail apocalypse started to hit. Um, as technology transformed industries like we're talking about, retail was certainly not insulated from that. Retailers that traditionally had, you know, uh, picked markets like New York to put their flagship and, and paid crazy rents because it made sense to have that branding opportunity with the tourism, right, in center city. And retailers very quickly started to recognize those lost leaders um, are not as effective as hitting people directly, personally on their devices, right? They had an opportunity to redistribute some of that capital, pull out of some of those center city lost leader stores and start to really hit them in a personal way on their phone. So retail began to decentralize at that point. We started seeing them pull out of center city, start hitting kind of the local markets around where one of those boroughs of New York City. Uh, so we saw some growth there and we saw kind of a shift over the last few years where it went from you know a badge of honor being in the office six days a week and working a hundred hours a week to this kind of heightened awareness of we're here for a small period of time and there is a different way to do things, right? So we started to see companies embrace uh, as legislation and litigation continued to increase in center city across the country. We saw these companies start to embrace decentralizing the employees, right? Allowing for working from home, working remotely, working from these secondary markets where the cost of living is a fraction of New York. Um, sprinkle a global pandemic into the mix. And it was just a perfect storm for people to reassess. You know, the, most experts say it takes somewhere between 64, 65 days to create a habit or to break a habit. So during the pandemic, we saw a lot of folks break that cycle of going into the rat race, right? That you hear about New York and, and, and hustling the way we hustle. I feel like we've all been on those vacations where you get to day five or six and you start going, oh, you know, there's a different way, right? I, I could do this. I can, I can relax maybe. And then <laughs> by day six or seven, it's no nope, time to start getting back into the mindset. I've got to get back to work. This went on for so long that people really started to evaluate and say, no, this is not for me anymore. You know, I can do this in a different way. Uh, I think legislative threats uh, was another thing that's kind of compounded where investors started to see Yes, it's scary going to a market you don't know, but is it any more scary than some of the legislative changes that are coming down the pipe? Uh, so all of this fed into kind of a decentralization where these emerging markets, if you look at the emerging markets today, compared to 10 or 20 years ago, they're completely different. 
right? These are towns and cities that we never thought would, would be in the top 10. And we're watching some of the bigger cities slide a little bit further down the list. You know, we're still the epicenter for jobs. So that continues to be a driver and it will always be a driver. New York will always be New York, but there is a shift. There is a difference. So we've watched here in Staten Island, we, we were the beneficiary from that shift. You know, we've often been referred to as kind of the forgotten borough, you know, where, you know, it's, it's tough to stand in the shadow of Manhattan, let's face it. Uh, but some of the big projects we worked on helped to put the borough on the map. And when this cycle started to ramp up and was hit with a global pandemic, Staten Island became a real viable place for people to invest and to relocate to, quite honestly. Uh, this became that decentralized spot where folks said, I want a little bit, I want a little more elbow room. Right. I want to have a backyard. I want to have a little bit more freedom. Uh, so Staten Island's done exceptionally well, actually, through the pandemic. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, that's great for you and, and your business. I think the it's it's a great point you bring up sort of that decentralization because it's I mean, it it's not just in real estate. I mean, it's everything now. It's as you mentioned, people have, have you know, sort of reassessed that that paradigm of having to go to work, having to, you know, sit at a desk all day, every day, kind of, and, and companies are realizing, oh, hey, we didn't, uh, we didn't have to close or <laughs> go out of business without our employees in here. So I think the, the fact is, is that, you know, the, the world is going to be different uh, on many levels because of the, the pandemic. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought again and you know as an outsider to the to new york city you what what you're seeing hearing is that you know people are just like <laughs> scurrying like like uh bugs when you turn the light on kind of you know just running and it it's it you know staten island's not that far so it's not they're not leaving new york they're kind of you know just maybe reassessing and and uh changing how they're how they're doing their day-to-day -day work and life, I guess. Yeah. So um, there's two, two different markets there. There are those that have completely decentralized out of state. Uh, there's no question. It's undeniable that there's been an attrition from New York, but there's also a backfilling, right? As quickly as we saw the vacancy rates climb, we're now seeing that gap much faster than most thought get closed again. So yes, some have decentralized out of state, uh, but many have just moved to an outer borough or a suburb of New Jersey or just something on the kind of on the edge. They still want to be a part of New York, but maybe not center city. But again, as those vacate, we are still the epicenter of jobs. Tourism is coming back. So you're seeing that backfill happen like actually yeah. really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I, there was a lot of talk of cities are dead and things like that. I, I think cities, are, especially New York City, New York, there's there's too much history, you know, culture, just greatness about New York City. And I, you know, I say that as a as a Boston sports fan, I still know that the 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 reality of these, you know, sort of big central cities, they're not going away. There's there's just going to be maybe a little bit of shift. I think, yeah, probably what as people left and it looked, you know, seemed as though property values were going down. There's probably a lot of people that jumped on that and thought, well, then this is my chance. You know, this is, this is my time to get something in New York city or, or LA or Boston, whatever it might be. And so then those things kind of turn around pretty quickly. I think uh, it's, 
I don't believe that, you know, the cities are going to leave or are ever going to go away completely. It just means that you have maybe more value in the real estate sort of just a little bit out from the city, those, those surrounding areas. Yeah. The, the, believe me, there's no run on Manhattan real estate. You know, I, I wish there kind of was in, in parts. <laughs> right. Yeah. But there's it, not. Prices it's have yeah, remarkably and, yeah. It, it's this, I mean, I'm in LA and it's like, I, I mean, I'm looking at the stuff and it's, I mean, the house, the house values residential, especially is skyrocketing. Even the, the commercial didn't really, the prices didn't go down. It's the same, it's yeah. the same stuff. So it's, yeah, it's, I think overstated, but um, maybe talk a little bit about uh, some of those big projects that you've been involved in. I think that would be cool to hear. Sure. Um, so I'm a North Shore boy. Um, you know, the Staten Island's typically referred to as North, Mid and South. Uh, North Shore has uh, by far the most urban feel. We have some vertical development, uh, a lot of public transportation, access to the Staten Island Ferry, uh, which shuttles back and forth at last count. I think it was 31 million people a year. I mean, it's like a real true transportation hub. So around that area, there was opportunity going back maybe 15 years. We located our office there at one point uh, because we saw that this waterfront just provided, I mean, we were able to buy real estate on the North Shore or our investors were able to buy real estate on the North Shore per foot uh, cheaper than some linen was, you know, in Manhattan, like literally. Wow. We were buying deals at $22, $23 a foot. So, you know, we saw this opportunity as, as folks were coming back from school. Staten Island was built primarily by what I call stick and nail builders. Uh, nothing wrong with stick and nail developers, but they're typically two and a half, three story guys. That was really as far as they took it. Uh, vertical construction is a whole nother ballgame, right? When you start putting up eight, 10, 20 story buildings, it's a completely different discipline. So we recognized we had to go off island uh, to find those developers. And we did. Uh, we did deals with Iron State developers. Uh, they came in and built an Irby complex here, uh, which we worked with the city uh, to sell it for the city of New York, EDC, uh, on their behalf. And we sold it to uh, the Barry brothers. They came in and built a magnificent apartment complex on the waterfront. Uh, I think it was 875 units, which was by far and away the largest residential development on Staten Island in the last 50 or 60 years, maybe more. Um, we, we did the Empire Outlets deal. Uh, we worked on all of the entitlements, uh, very complicated Euler process, took us almost two, two and a half years to get a final city council vote uh, to build that project. We've done um, some vertical projects like the Accolade, the Point, the View. There was really no brick and mortar to speak of that went up in that district for 50, 60 years prior to. So as those developments started to take hold, you saw Goldman Sachs come and invest in Staten Island. Uh, we were proud to work with them on several projects. Madison Realty Capital, Josh Zegan, worked with them on many, many projects. Uh, Meadow Partners, BFC Partners, uh, Iron State, as I had mentioned before. Um, so as we kind of put our flag down in, in these bigger scale developments, uh, the other developers recognized, hey, you know, there's limited amount of space in New York City. And uh, these other waterfront districts have taken off. So it was just a matter of time before the North Shore, you know, caught fire. Yeah. I, I still find it shocking that like, within our lifetime, there are places like that waterfront New York City property that wasn't already sort of <laughs> developed. And I mean, it's just amazing that 
uh, any of that. I, I don't know. I, with the demand that anything waterfront has now, it's like, why, why wasn't it that way, you know, even 20 years ago, or it's just shocking. Well, you know, there's a complex process to get through entitlements in New York period, right? So whether you're on the, the waterfront of Manhattan or the waterfront of Staten Island, you still have to go through a very, very challenging process. So I think part of the hesitation was um, safety, right? When, when you're investing, you want to invest in a place that's proven and you've hit your marks before. So it's, it's one thing to convince an underwriter to commit $150, $200 million to certain parts of Brooklyn and Manhattan where year after year, mark after mark, they've hit it. And then to go to a, a whole new market, right? These, these are large scale projects. So uh, getting underwriters comfortable with that and get away from kind of that safe play, um, especially again, when you're in the shadow of Manhattan was a challenge. You know, that, that's, it's scary. You know, Staten Island is not the place to invest if you want to close your eyes and hit a grand slam. That's not going to happen here. It never has, it never will. Uh, but it is a place for steady growth. We have consistently hit our marks, steady growth. And when you have these once in a lifetime events, uh, you don't have those crazy crashes either, right? Because there wasn't the crazy appreciation. So if you're looking to hit doubles and triples consistently, that's not so bad, right? We're yeah. learning that, that's, that there's a place in everyone's portfolio for that kind of, that kind yeah, of asset. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. The I would argue maybe that the consistency is actually better than shooting for these home runs because like you said when when the crash comes that's where that's where you really feel it so um yeah that's it's it's still it, it's definitely a, a different world uh kind of living in that you know sort of entitlement space and and trying to get development in in areas that are maybe not accustomed to it I guess so that's that's actually really cool you know, and, and remember, that's that's just the, the first part. Then you right. have to backfill, right? You know, we went and, and we negotiated leases with Nike and Nordstrom Rack and Gap and Banana and Johnston and Murphy and Brooks Brothers and all of these, you know, top flight retailers that never had any presence on Staten Island, never mind the North Shore of Staten Island, right? And that's the second part of the equation is, you know, yeah. first you have to identify, get through entitlement, secure the capital, get it under construction, then we had to deliver on the leasing side, which we did. And, you know, it was probably the biggest challenge of my career, but certainly one of the most rewarding ones also. And so did you find that those, those retailers didn't want to come? It was, again, you, as you mentioned, the risk of that market was that made it hard to get them. Again, it's still, it's just surprising to me. I'd be, I would feel like here's this brand new <laughs> uh, complex in, in, New York City, like I would think people would be flocking to that. Yeah, so uh, same same mindset though, right? Um, when you have a portfolio of Nikes in, in a certain part of the city, and you know that if you open your doors there, you're gonna hit X dollars per foot in sales, that's a lot easier to get safe and comfortable underwriting mm -hmm. than a completely different market, you know? And because it was an outlet mall, there was a lot of challenges we were battling uh, you know, Simon was was looking for similar tenants in a similar market. Uh, you know, it was really a David and Goliath story. But at the end of the day, it, it worked out. And uh, you, you can understand it. It was not a, a knock against Staten Island. It was just, you know, there's proven markets. There was other opportunity. But as those markets become more and more saturated and 
inventories drop and there's less space available and retailers are learning to decentralize, it was just a perfect opportunity and we were able to capitalize. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, um, I want to go to the section of the show where I kind of ask you some of the questions that I ask all my guests. Sure. Um, as, as you know, the name of the podcast is Know Your Why. So James, I was wondering if you could tell us kind of what is your why? What's your what drives you? You know, kind of to to keep on, keep on going, keep on succeeding. So it's a great question, uh, and and I think it's changed. You know, for a period of time, um, my why was I had my chip a chip on my shoulder, right? It was I'm I'm a Staten Islander born and raised. My mom was a Staten Islander born and raised. Um, we saw immense value here, and we were going to come hell or high water, show some of that value to the rest of the world. It was really important for us, it being our kind of home, home turf, you know, to defend the turf and, and get folks out and recognize the value that was here. Um, and now that I'm a little bit, you know, further on in my career, I, I think the mission has changed for me now. It's about imparting knowledge. Um, over the years, I've amassed a tremendous amount of of dealmaker knowledge and marketing knowledge. And, and it's exciting for us now to impart that to the next generation. Um, it's exciting now with the, the digital tools that we have to be able to um, get that knowledge out into the universe. Podcasting, for example, it's something that I've always been um, camera shy, right? I, I, was, I was always the one who had it, my head down. I didn't want to uh, be a part of any of the, the fanfare. I just wanted to do my job. I wanted to do it with excellence. Um, but I've, I've come to really love being able to do things like this, uh, you know, and putting courses together and sharing information with, with inside the team and, and outside of the team. Um, you know, there's, there are different ways to make money in real estate. There's, there's a lot of, uh, folks that are now trading in their nine to fives and trying their hand at the entrepreneurial world, which is not, yeah. It's not an easy world, but my why has changed. It's now a lot more about imparting that to others. And, and I want to build a fund. I want to build something really special. And I want to be able to do special things here on Staten Island. And you need capital to do that. So it's been a, a little bit of a shift over the years. Yeah. And I, it's, it's interesting. You know, I ask every guest that question and I'm finding, and I guess I should have known this because I feel like my why has changed over my life, but it's, it is definitely a fluid thing. It's definitely something that, you know, you're not going to have the same drivers when you're 20 and 30. And, you know, it's just, there's going to be things that happen in life that sort of change your outlook. And so it's, it's just really cool, I think, to, to hear, you know, that people's evolution, even, you know, what's, what, what's your why right now? It was not what your why was 10 years ago. It's, it, things change. So that's pretty cool. Um, Tell me something about yourself that uh, that maybe isn't well known. Some uh, some hobby, a special skill, uh, anything that you think might be worth sharing that um, <laughs> that you're comfortable sure. sharing. <laughs> I'm a pretty darn good farmer. That's okay. something that I would say most folks don't don't know about me. I have a farm up in Honesdale in Pennsylvania, and uh, I I absolutely love just you know getting my hands in the dirt. There's something about cultivating the land and raising animals that is, it's cathartic for me. And it's, it's definitely part of my why, um, you know, growing up in New York, you're not really exposed to that much. Um, right. And I, I had done a deal for a friend years ago. And, and part of the thank you was they took me out into the woods 
Um, and I went kicking and screaming, believe me when I tell you, I wanted nothing to do with it. I was that guy. Like I wanted nothing to do with the woods and, um, you know, people talk about biblical moments uh, and I had one, you know, it was three in the morning and I'm sitting in this, in the woods on this cold, damp floor. And I'm like, what the heck am I doing here? And you're sitting there in the dead silence and, you know, every twig that snaps and every leaf that moves sounds like a monster right there's there's a bear around every corner at least in your mind there is and um when the lights came on there was the sun rose that moment for me changed my life it in that instance in that instant there was birds chirping deer got up on their feet turkey started gobbling it was something like i'd never had experienced before um, and at that point I said, okay, this is, this is part of my why, right? I want to, I want to do more of this. And, uh, I've made it a, a huge part of, of our family now. And, and I bring the kids up regularly and, uh, they run in the machines and tending to the animals and, you know, there's something about it. So I'd say that that's something folks probably don't know so much about. Oh, that's really cool. What kind of animals do you have? We have pigs, chickens, goats cows, ducks, and soon horses. Not yet, but we're working on the horses. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm a little jealous. We uh, I, Very small yard in LA. I, I'd like to have chickens at least. I'm like, that's my, that's where I want to start. But yeah, I, I, uh, I do love uh, getting out on a farm here and there. It's, it's, I like city living, but having a place to go where you can just kind of do that, you know, hard work in the ground, you know, raise animals and things like that. That's very, very cool. Um, so how can people reach you? We'll put whatever you want in the show notes, but what's, what's the best way if people uh, want to reach out to you and um, connect? Sure. Uh, the website's always the best way I would, I would think. I mean, I'm on all the social platforms, uh, but the website, you know, CassandraProperties.com is one S in Cassandra. Uh, you know, my bio is on there and my direct email, my cell phone number is even on there. So I'm, I'm not hard to, to get a hold of. Okay, perfect. Um, and then I guess last, last question for you. Do you have some advice for people that are maybe, you know, kind of a few years back uh, or maybe even more than that in your, in your situation? What, what advice would you give to people to sort of achieve the level of success that, that you've, you've done? Yeah, that's easy. Uh, become a lifelong learner. Um, there are so many opportunities available to us today. Um, there are so many unbelievable mentors out there and content available on social media. There are so many amazing books. Um, part of what I did not do, shamefully, was work on improving myself as much as I should have during that process, right? Like I had said earlier, I was head down and I was doing what I needed to do. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult to pedal the bike and fix it at the same time, right? Yeah. So it is utterly critical. Take the time to get off the bike, make a plan, fix it. And by the bike, it could be you, right? Put, put time into uh, researching and learning. There are so many tools out there, so many amazing books. Uh, that's for sure, uh, I would say, make sure you're a lifelong learner. That'll, that'll, leapfrog you over 80, 90% of the folks out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great advice. And I will probably steal that analogy because I really like it. You can't, right. can't pedal the bike and fix it at the same time. That's, that's a good one. Um, well, listen, James, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it was great to kind of hear your story and, 
um, everything you're doing to really, I don't want to say put Staten Island on the map because I feel like it's very much on the map, but uh, you know, m make it a place that that um, you know you, you've really put your stamp on. So it's, it's pretty cool. I'm I now want to get out there and see it. So hopefully someday I'll get get the chance. Uh, but thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks as always, everyone. Stay safe. All right. Take care, everyone.